Hi everyone and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 210, all about Delhi and early 20th century baseball with Joey Witterstater. He played with two baseball Hall of Famers, played against a baseball Hall of Famer, a big baseball Hall of Famer. I won't, uh, actually, you know what, I will say who it is. Joey's an armchair historian from Delhi. His family roots in the community go back to the early 1800s. He also had a relative that played professional baseball in the 19-teens and 1920s. He made a documentary about that. We'll talk about that as well. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now, let's talk to Joey Witterstater about Delhi and professional baseball in the early 20th century. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I-Cincinnati She came down Cincinnati Just maybe think of me once in a while I'm at CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati So gosh, I'm not uh, sure where to start here. I So you're, the two things we're going to discuss were Delhi, and you had an ancestor yep. who played Major League Baseball in the 1920s. I did. Okay. Well, let's start with Delhi. <laughs> a good place to start. And for those, okay. so like most Eastsiders, the Western Hills is like the moon to me. I know very little about it. <laughs> and we had a fellow on who took us through the history of Coleraine Township and all those associated communities. I, St. Bernard, I guess, is kind of the west side because it's to the west of 75, I guess. And of course, Josh is from there, one of our owners. And a close friend mm-hmm. of mine is also from there. Uh, they went to high school together. And uh, But other than that, I really don't know much about Delhi. So can you walk us through Delhi as far as where folks can find it and how it was settled? And Sure, absolutely. So Delhi was actually settled in uh, 1789 uh, with the purchase of uh, with John Cleve Sims and his brother Timothy Sims. They founded it in 1789. Uh, it was known as South Bend back then. Ah. And did not become incorporated until 1817. And that's when it became Delhi. Delhi used to cons- uh, consist of Sailor Park, Riverside, Sadamsville. And then eventually, at the turn of the 20th, was it 20th century? Yes, 20th century, they eventually became annexed by the city of Cincinnati. So the city chipped away at Delhi. Yeah. Okay, that happened in Anderson Township too, actually. Um, we lost Mount Washington and California. And Newtown stayed independent of the township. But uh, that's interesting. So is Delhi spelled the same as the city in India? I don't remember. Or is... It is. Originally, it was actually two different words. It was D-E-L, Del, and then high, H-I-A-G-H. Oh, and then it was changed short. It was changed shortly after that. Um, no one exactly knows when or why it was changed, and, and and like the origin of the new Delhi name. Some people say it was because of New Delhi in India, because the topography was kind of the same. Or another theory is it was an homage to the Greek city of Delphi. But it is pronounced Delhi and not Delhi. That's how it's always confused me ever since Correct. I first moved here. Okay, Correct. interesting. So it, the city of Cincinnati chipped away at it, but then what happened to Delhi from there? I imagine post-world, like the rest of the suburbs around the city, particularly, I guess Western Hills seemed to grow faster after World War II, or no? It did. Delhi is mostly what, back then, it was mostly a farming community. There were, at one time, farming and, and flowers. That was the big thing. We are actually known as the floral paradise of Ohio. That is one of our claims to fame. At one time, there were over six, over 50, close to 60 florists operating at one time in Delhi. Yeah, where I come from up in Cleveland, we were a big rose capital for a long time, and now it's just 
your garden variety suburb and there's a, a few nurseries left but uh they're they're all long since gone are there any left in delhi or is that long gone there are a few there are friedhof and uh there's rocksterman there are a few still left in in, in delhi only a couple of them have my family lineage uh, that are still around. At one time, my family had the most out of everyone in Delhi. Either they were related by marriage or they were related by blood. So your family goes way back in Delhi. Oh, yes. Uh, my family settled here uh, in Ohio, and specifically in Delhi, in 1832. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so we're one of the old families in Cincinnati, and... We even we expanded westward past that. A lot of the original descendants' kids moved west out to like Texas and Kansas and and up in Wisconsin. They moved all over the place. All right. So for most of its existence, I guess in the 1800s, it's like any other small community outside of Cincinnati. It's more like, probably more like a farming community, correct? Yes. Yes. My family, when they came over, they were winemakers. That was their uh, main business. And they were contemporaries of Nicholas Longworth in the mid-1800s. They made Catawba wine. And then eventually they had the plight of the Catawba grapes in, 18, I think it was 1850. And um, it was caused by an aphid and pretty much wiped out the entire Cincinnati crop. And, and then it spread throughout Europe when it was like brought over there by like ship and stuff. And that's when they changed to vegetables and then eventually into flowers. Oh, okay. And your family was in the wine business at this point? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And just to give folks an idea of the area we're talking about here, if like me or from I had the vaguest notion and I was sort of right, we're talking in the area west of sure. Price Hill and south of Covedale and the north of the river. And if you've gone to Addiston, you've gone too far. But that's basically... That is correct. And, and Mount St. Joseph University is also located in Delhi, correct? Yes, it is. Okay. I don't even even know the answer to this question. I may have done a trivia gig or two in Delhi. I don't even remember. Is there like a like a proper downtown area, or is Delhi more of like a post World War II area like Anderson, where they just plowed over the fields and started putting houses up? <laughs> you could say it was. It's a little kind of both. There's a, in terms of and like where Anderson. I mean, I mean, when I think of like a downtown area, I think of Beachmont Avenue. I would consider Delhi Pike to be our Beachmont Avenue, and uh, it has a lot of shops and things. There's a, a few bars on Delhi, on Delhi Pike. Uh, there's Maloney's. There's Wishbone. Oh, we used to have um, Maloney's here. That that's a mysterious. The the other half of the Maloney's we used to have here. I never knew where that was. <laughs> it was, um, for those who may remember in Anderson Township or though may have been to the township, it was it was sat on Wolfangle Road at Beachmont. It is now an oil changing place, but it was it was previously the first iteration of International House of Pancakes. And then they they left and that became Maloney's East. And then it was since torn down. Oh, 15, 20 years ago now, and is now oh, uh, wow. an oil change place. Yeah, and I think that is it. They took up that whole footprint. But yeah, <laughs> I wonder where the rest huh. of Maloney's was in here. And that Maloney's is still there? Yes, it is still there, still running. All right, well, there you go. Yeah, when I think of, a, not really like a downtown area, but an older area, I think of like Northside, uh, Mount Washington, you know, stuff with pre-World War II, I guess, storefronts and businesses and, and that sort of affair. Whereas mm-hmm. Beachmont Avenue and Coleraine are more post-World War II plazas and that sort of affair. So I was just kind of yeah. trying to gauge the, the growth of Delhi uh, post-World War II. And I guess you're not really affected by the freeways. The only big highway runs to the south of you, Route 50. You're not affected by yep. 75 or 74. Uh, how do you think that either positively or negatively affect the growth of Delhi? Honestly, I think it was it was a little bit of negative, a little bit of positive, because depending on where you live in, in Delhi, you can get to Route 50 pretty quick. I used to live on off just off of Delhi Pike, and I could get to Route 50 in less than five minutes. So, I mean... It, it it all depends on where you live. If you live more towards the green township side of Delhi, yeah, you're in a pickle. It's going to take you a while. So I would say it, it definitely was both. It, 
it helped it and it also, you know, did not help it. Hmm. And so what is like Delhi like today for the uninitiated? Is it, are, are they still building new stuff? They're, they're still building crap in Anderson and they need to stop. Oh yeah, they're still building stuff. They actually just recently approved a new community center that's going to be on uh, the main Dragon Delhi Pike. Uh, it was formerly a, uh, a Biggs uh, and a Remke and then it was a farm before that and a Kmart, but now they tore that building down. It is now becoming a brand new community center. Hopefully they'll be breaking ground. I'm hoping in the, in the fall, still working out the kinks with uh, some permits uh, with Hamilton County. Yeah. Hopefully they'll be breaking ground here in the fall. And are you a historian by trade? Are you an armchair historian or someone who's interested? I would call my, I would call myself an armchair historian. I'm, I'm very interested. I'm not a historian by any means in terms of training. Uh, I didn't. I did not go to school for it. But it's been part of my family for decades. Uh, we've been. I mean, on my mom's side, my my family is huge into history, and that's where I get it from. My dad's side, not so much. Okay. <laughs> where did you go to high school? This may be a dumb question, but what? I went to Oak Hills High School. Okay. So where's Oak Hills in relation to Delhi? My buddy went there, and I have no idea where it is. <laughs> Oak Hills is in Green. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's right next door to to Delhi, but it's um, uh, from where I lived, it's it was probably about a good 10, 15 minute drive okay. to get to high school. All right, very good. And then, as we were saying earlier, you had a, an ancestor that played major league baseball, and you say you wrote a book about that. I actually produced a documentary about it. Yeah, so when I started it, I knew a little bit about him. I didn't really know a lot. And um, when I asked around my family, they could only tell me bits and pieces. And even even then, it was it was very slim. So when I started this documentary, I just started looking on like newspapers.com and just searching our name and going back as far as 1910 is when he started playing baseball professionally. And so I just started looking back there. It was astounding trying to find all this information because I did not know much about him. And when I found out the stuff I did find out, it it opened my eyes. And I was like, wow, he was a really good baseball player, but nobody in our family knew it. How did you find out about it? Just from family history? Just saying, oh, by the way, we had. did you know you had a relative that played Major League Baseball? Yeah, family okay. history. My grandpa had his bat in his house, at, at my grandparents' house. And I asked my grandpa one day, well, you know, like, who's his bat? Because, I mean, it has our name on it. But he's like, well, it was, that was my uncle's. And then, I mean, again, he didn't tell me much about him because Uncle Leo, or I, I call him Leo, he, he went by Uncle Lee, but he didn't really talk about his baseball career all that much. So nobody really knew it about in the family. So that was when I just had to just start research and, and I found it out all on my own. And what was his last name? Witterstetter. So he's on your dad's side. Okay. So was mm-hmm. he from Delhi? Yes, yes. He was uh, born in uh, on Anderson Ferry in Delhi Township, and people will know Anderson Ferry. Yes, that is named after the actual ferry that goes from Delhi over to uh, Hebron. Okay, so I was going to ask if that was in. The, I don't know if that was part of the Delhi that had gotten uh, nicked by Cincinnati, but that's still properly in Delhi. It kind of is, and it isn't. I don't. I don't know exactly the the details of it, but it was at one part of one point part of Delhi and I think it might be actually under Cincinnati's jurisdiction. Okay. That's an interesting I, story. Yeah. How long has the, has Anderson Ferry been there for folks not in the know? Anderson Ferry has been there since the late 1800s. Wow. And still in operation because and once you yep. leave downtown, the next place to cross the river is 275 uh, into Indiana. Mm-hmm. It yeah. cut, yeah, it cuts probably about 20 minutes off your drive if you take Anderson Ferry, if you're from the west side. Yeah, if you're going to the airport, I imagine that's like super handy. I said, I mean, yeah. to make that loop all the way around, especially with traffic on 71, mm-hmm. 75. Yeah, it's just, hard to, a, just a couple of dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to believe how difficult it was to cross the river, even like in the 50s and 60s. I was telling my wife that I'm like, you know, before they built the 275 bridge, if we wanted to go downtown or wanted to go over to Newport, we would have to go downtown. 
or you'd have to drive all the way down. I think Maysville was probably the next crossing of the Ohio River. It's crazy. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. All right. So anyway, back to Uncle Leo or Uncle okay. Lee. So how yeah. does he, he uh, when does he first get interested in baseball? Is this something that he happens to have natural talent for? Is it, are we at a point in baseball where you can start, I guess in the 1900s, guys are making careers out of it. We have a rebel league that starts. So there's people yeah. realize there's money in it. So he actually got into it just playing around with his brothers, you know, before he turned pro. So he uh, just picked it up naturally. He just found this league uh, in um, West Virginia. It's called. It was called the Virginia Valley League. It was a Class D league. Um, I'm not exactly sure what Class D means. I'm not a baseball historian, <laughs> but I'm I'm assuming it was equivalent to an independent team, uh, kind of like. Kind of like the Florence Yalls, I, I would say. Okay. It was minor leagues, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't affiliated with anybody. Okay, yeah, um, there were lots of those back then. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he played with Virginia Valley, played on uh, Point Pleasant Gallipolis. It was, uh, it was a dual city uh, team from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and Gallipolis, Ohio. Uh, they were catty corner across the river, so they were, you know, it, they just joined forces and became a team, and and then he played for Middleport Pomeroy, which is it's in the same league. Uh, they changed names after during the off season of 1910, and in 1911 they became the Mountain States League. And uh, he played for Point Pleasant uh, in that league. And then they, for whatever reason, I I can't find it, but they were uh, moved to Middleport, Ohio, and Pomeroy, West Virginia. They were there for the rest of the league, or for us the season, and uh, they actually ended up winning the championship for that se- for that season. So I was, uh, I have um, a little clipping from uh, the uh, Spalding News Guide for baseball. It has their 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 team picture on it, and they're they're all in their suits. They're all in their Sunday best. So I'm not sure if, if you know this part of is able to make a living at this point, or if you're down in that level, you're probably not. You still have a day job, probably. So yes, he would have. Um, he actually, I think during that point, during the off, he would only work another job during the off season, and he would actually help at the family farm um, during the off season. Okay. Oh, because because Delhi stole farmland mostly at this point. Mm-hmm. So how do the majors get a hold of him, or how does he get a hold of the majors? So he would event he would eventually move on. Um, he would move up in the ranks, and he would go to uh, what we would call Triple A baseball now. Uh, back then, it was only Double A. They had Single A, and then they had Double A. That was as high as you went in the minors. So he played in Double A in uh, Newark, New Jersey. He played for the Newark Indians. Um, that was owned by actually the son of the Brooklyn Dodgers owner, Charles Evans Jr., was owner of the Newark Indians. He was scouted by tons of scouts that year. I think he was scouted, from what I re- recollect, it was Philadelphia, the Reds, Pittsburgh, and then ultimately it was John McGraw from the New York Giants who uh, signed him. So what year are we talking here? This was 1916. He was signed okay. to the New York Giants. So he would pl- he would go to spring training in 1917. I'm fascinated by this. There was no AAA baseball thing. Um, I have a theory, and I'll have to check with some baseball historians, but I'm thinking maybe because like teams on the West Coast that weren't major league because baseball didn't go out, the, the travel costs and all that stuff, but maybe they were considered mm-hmm. higher up than – double-A and single-A baseball in the East, but they still weren't major league. We'll have to ask somebody about that. I'm fascinated by that. But anyway, so back to uh, Uncle Leo. He is with Newark Indians. He's scouted by the Giants. So does he he join the Giants then? He he signs up with the Giants, and at that time, they were having a little bit of a dispute with the players' union. It was called the fraternity at that point. Um, it It was, there was like, the players union in its infancy. It was it was the predecessor to the players union that we know today. It was called the baseball fraternity, and um, the fraternity was having an issue with the American and National Leagues because of player wages, of course. Yeah, always player wages, 
And um, the president of the fraternity, David Foltz, told my Uncle Leo that don't sign a contract until we figure this out. And so it came up to be, it was two weeks, three weeks, and then finally John McGraw just had it. And he was just like, you're not signing a contract. I'm letting you go. So what happened then? So after that, he actually, back then, if you were drafted by a major league team, and then you were let go by a team, by that, by that team, they, you would automatically be given a trial you, to defend yourself. And he, he wanted to, so he did. And then McGraw actually clapped back and he said, well, you refused to sign a contract, so no trial. And the baseball commission ruled in favor of John McGraw. So that did that mean he couldn't sign with another team? Um, so he couldn't sign with another major league team. He could still play baseball, but he could not sign with another major league team. So he he went back into the minors. So even though the Giants didn't need a serve, oh, they were mad at him because he wouldn't sign. They wanted him, but he wouldn't sign a contract. So basically, it was still the reserve yeah. clause in action, which most baseball fans are familiar with. I get it. Okay, but have they had yeah, they? Yeah. It, they not offered him a contract and outright released him, he could have gone to another major league team. Is that easily? Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. I see. I see. But since he, they had it, they owned his rights basically under the reserve clause. Okay. Now I'm following the story again. So mm-hmm. he goes mm-hmm. back down to the minors. Where does he end up? He ends up in uh, Columbus, Ohio, played for the Columbus senators. Uh, they were with the American association at that time. Still a uh, double a ball. He only lasted, I think it was a couple months because he got injured uh, on a slide to second. He uh, broke his leg. So season ending injury, obviously. Yes. And back in those days, usually when you got injured, you were done. That was the end of your career. Oh, okay. So he comes back home to Delhi, I presume. Yes. He came back home to Delhi. He did not play. He played semi-pro ball uh, just on independent teams that were around the uh, the tri-state. There was actually a, a tri-state league that it was around for, jeez, oh, probably like 20 or 30 years. It was called the KIO League at Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio. And it was a semi-pro league that was consisted of teams all over the tri-state from like small towns, uh, you know, Bellevue, Newport, uh, Norwood. Uh, Richmond, Indiana, there were some, I can't remember exactly uh, what other, I think there was Cleves, Ohio, there was, yeah, there was tons of these small town, you know, small community teams that would play in this league. He was with that league from in 18 and 1918, 1919. And then in 1920, he got a call from the International League Syracuse Stars and said, hey, would you like to come play for us? And so at the ripe age of 30, he uh, got back into minor league baseball. So does he ever make it back to the majors? He did not. He would last in um, the international league with the Syracuse stars for two seasons. And then he was just like, I've, I've had enough. I'm, I'm, I can't live like this. I've got, he, at the time he had a kid who was around eight years old eight or nine years old, and he had missed out on a lot of her life being out on the road and playing baseball. Uh-huh. So he was just like, I'm done. I'm going to you know, stay home, and I'm going to raise my family in Cincinnati, and I'm going to work in Cincinnati. So what did he end up doing? What, what profession did he go into? He, he actually went into the family business. He became a florist, and he was one of, the, one of four wholesale florists in the city of Cincinnati. The building that he built... They had a conglomerate. They all they all worked out of the same building, but there were four separate businesses. The building is still there. It's on Elm Street and over the Rhine. Uh, I think it's a print shop now. Can't remember exactly what the name is. I'm trying to picture Elm Street, which I always get confused down there. I know where our store is, and I know where Vine is, and then I start to get a look. And Ray Street, because it runs along the one side of uh, Washington Park, and then I get confused. Um, oh, no, Elm runs <laughs> along Washington Park, too. So it's probably in that neck of the woods. If it's, mm. uh, if it's, okay, it's in the Ryan. So, did he ever pursue any other things to do with baseball, either coaching, uh, you know, at the little league level or high school or anything like that? Or was once he was concentrating no. on 
Not that I could find. He actually, he still actually played semi-pro ball around town up into the mid 1930s. So he was playing well into his his 40s when he finally decided to call it quits. So anybody else in the family have any baseball chops, or was he really the only Absolute, one? Absolutely no. My grandpa was the first pitcher in elder high school history to ever pitch a no-hitter. Uh, that was in 1937. And then he went to Ohio State and played ball up there. Um, and then my uncle was on the elder state championship baseball team in 1958. His cousin which was my grandpa's sis, uh, grandpa's sister's son. <laughs> he was on the that same championship team in 1958, and he played in the state championship team in 1959. And then my cousin, Stephen, played for the elder state championship team in 1999. And now we have uh, my cousin's kids. My cousin Nikki's kid, Austin, plays for uh, Mason. And I played for... One season. I was not very good mm. <laughs> at that time. I was not good at all. I was the kid. If you ever listen to that Peter, Paul, and Mary song, Right Field, I was the kid in Right Field. I was uh, awkward and slow, so they would just stick me out in Right Field. Huh. And, like, eh, you know, just playing the daisies, you know. So what inspired you to make this documentary? Honestly, it was because I didn't know much about the guy, and I wanted to find out more about him. I never knew this hit part of our family and i wanted to research more about him his life i actually found out a lot of information that wasn't in the documentary it was more about his personal life like where he lived when he was when he was alive and then like he had a daughter born in 1914 and he got married not long before that like i, th I think it was 1913 he got married and just you know little stuff like that and i just because i never knew about him but I knew all this, like, it was like this legend and I didn't know the story behind the legend. So that's what I wanted to f find out. Uh -huh. What kind of resources did you use? I mean, cause I think a lot of folks probably have a couple characters in their family, you know, that people want to find out more about. And I know for a while, the library, you could use the ancestor, I don't know it was ancestors.com or some kind of ancestor registry for free. But since the pandemic mm -hmm. has wound down, you can no longer do that. But what, so what, how did you, where'd you start this, the, the detective work apart from the stories that you heard from so, your family? I used ancestry.com was my, my first main source that I did. I at least traced the lineage. I, I, and found out exactly like where he lived and look, you can look at census records on there and newspapers.com is affiliated. It's a, it's a branch of ancestry.com. And they have newspapers from all over the country at a lot of different periods of time. It goes all the way back, I think, like to around the 1830s and possibly even before that and then up into today. So uh, those two resources, especially newspapers.com, was extremely helpful. And did you have an interest in documentary making before this or was it just this is the thing you decided would be the, the end result of all this research? I did, actually. Okay. I did. I went to school at uh, the University of Cincinnati for college, and I was in the College Conservatory of Music. It was their electronic media program, which was formerly the radio and TV broadcasting program. Oh, okay. Uh, but in the, in the late 90s, it, it evolved, and they incorporated more web design and uh, filmmaking, so they changed their name, changed it to electronic media. And then just recently, within the past year or two, they changed their name to media production. So it's now the media production department. They still, they, they gave me a tremendous education and I was, I've been hooked on documentaries before then, but when I started learning there, it, it just exploded from there. And, um, I actually thank one of my professors in the documentary, uh, Kevin Burke. Uh, he was a documentarian before he became a professor and, um, he helped me tremendously with this direction and like gave me little tips and, and gave me encouragement. How long did it take you to make the documentary once you had all the source material gathered? It took me about three months, I would say. It took me actually about two years to compile all of the information that I was potentially going to use. And then it took me about three months to edit it and, and do the narration and everything. 
Okay. And how long is the documentary? Uh, the documentary is a little over tw- uh, 21 minutes long, and then it's I've got about five minutes worth of credits because I, I have all these photos that I wasn't able to share, so I put them all in the credits. It's all of the, the Wittersetters who played baseball in some shape or form. Okay. Interesting. And have you made other documentaries, or was this the first? Um, this was the first like serious one that I ever made. I made short little documentaries uh, when I was in college. Like um, I actually worked for a couple of your previous guests, Tim Perino and and Thane Maynard. I've worked at the Covedale in Showboat. I worked there for six years. And then I worked at the Cincinnati Zoo for four years. So I did little short documentaries. Like I did one on the history of the Covedale and Showboat back when I was in college. And that was only like five minutes long. It was just a short little thing. And yeah, so I would say this and this would be the first like serious one that I actually did. So once you had it completed, where do you go with the documentary? I know, you know, Cam Miller has a previous guest also, works at the Reds Hall of Fame. He posts his on YouTube and such. And I think they show some of his actually in the Reds Hall of Fame, if I'm not mistaken. But wh- what did you mm-hmm. hope to do with the documentary? How are you going to get out to folks? So I actually, I've been friends with Cam for about a year or two. I When I started this, I, I got in contact with him because I, I had seen a lot of his documentaries uh, before I started mine. And I just kind of went by his model. I was like, you know what? I'm going to put this on YouTube, make it available for everyone. And so it's 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 for free on YouTube. And I guess if enough, you get enough hits on that, though, you can monetize it. I know a guy here was a, the parent of a friend of my daughter's. He videotaped, or I guess it wasn't really videotape, but digitally taped. We still call it videotape, us, us 80s kids. <laughs> uh, he videotaped his in-ground pool being installed from start to finish. And he did a nice job. He didn't just you know, tape them. He actually planned how he was going to record it. And he recorded, you know, the the, the empty lot, the, the empty backyard, and then went from there and narrated it and did a really nice job. And he got, I don't know, some crazy amount of hits. And my daughter, she was only, gosh, maybe nine or 10 at the time, said, hey, you know, you can make money off of this on YouTube. And he goes, really? And she says, yeah, if you, if you look into it, but you can, if you get enough hits, they'll start people, they'll put ads on and you make, you know, okay. So he did that and he ended up making a couple thousand dollars on it uh, from all the hits he got. And it gave her 20 bucks a finder's fee for telling him that. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, uh, eventually I guess there's, but I, but I guess the trick is kids. And I, I found this out from somebody else is uh, to help people out. So if you do go watch Joey's documentary or any of Cam's stuff, you have to make sure you watch all the ads. Don't skip it. Don't, you can skip the ad in five seconds. Don't do that because then it doesn't count. I don't know if you, if that, if you found that. To I be had the no case. idea. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I believe. I no yeah. I read that somewhere that you only get paid if, oh, I know my other daughter's friend makes me, mu- uh, makes music boxes and then she makes little songs on them, uh, covers of, uh, popular songs and she gets tons of hits. And, but she found that out too. That's who I found this out from. If you don't watch the whole ad, you don't get a royalty from it or, you know, or, or, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not royalty isn't the right word, but you don't get your cut of the of the mm, ad payment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So so we will remind folks again at the end of the podcast when you go to watch this that uh, make sure you watch all of the ads and then even the ones in the middle, if there are any, and, <laughs> and go from there. Are there any other, any other places you want to show it? If you have like a, did you have a showing at maybe at the, the local library or the local theater that for folks to enjoy or enter in any kind of a film festival? I've, I really wanted to enter it into the Baseball Hall of Fame Film Festival, but they haven't oh. had one since uh, 2019 uh, due to the pandemic. So, um, and if they ever get that back up and running, I would love to, um, because their entry requirements are kind of lax. They, you, you have, it has to be made within five years of okay. that particular year. Yeah, it makes sense. So, I mean, I'm still eligible. Okay. And, as and it could be any length, so... And to that end, as you were going through all this research of your uncle, did you come across other interesting stories and jot those on and say, hey, this might also make an interesting documentary, like, you know, a story about a certain team or a certain city or anything, or maybe other characters that he maybe played with? Oh, yes. Uh, Like, he played with a lot of, he played with two baseball Hall of Famers, played against a baseball hall of famer, a big baseball hall of famer. I won't uh, actually, you know what? I will say who it is. Uh, so he actually was, he played when Babe Ruth 
was a minor league player in Baltimore and Providence. He was a pitcher at that time when he got signed by Boston. And they sent him to Baltimore and Providence. I won't tell you exactly how the outcome, you know, ended up, but huh. he did actually play against Babe Ruth and wow. um, played against, or he played with for a short period of time, only about a month. Football Hall of Famer and two-time gold medalist Jim Thorpe. Wow, that's another huge one. So he played yeah. for, for a quick review here of his career. He played at the highest level of minor league baseball you could play at in the eastern part of the country, basically, which mm-hmm. would have been double A. Yes. Okay, so m- mostly a, a career double A ball player. Yes. Okay, and uh, and before we forget, what's the name of the documentary? So people can dig this up on the YouTube. documentary is called The West Side Natural. The West Side Natural, very good. And so, I guess, kind of to continue my other my previous question, do you have any notions of making your next documentary? Do you have any subjects or ideas? So um, I am a volunteer volunteer with the Delhi Historical Society. It was a historical society uh, founded in 1976, and it moved into Leo's family home uh, back in 1991. So one of my original family homes is still standing in Delhi. It's It's over 100 years old. And um, it is now the Delhi Historical Society. I volunteer with them. I make. I'm going to be making a, a a mini documentary series for them, all about the history of Delhi and notable figures and notable businesses and and things of that nature. So right now, at slated, it's going to be uh, a history of Delhi. The evolution of Delhi will be my first one, and it's it. These are short. They're only going to be about three to five minutes long. Um, just to keep, you know, people's interests, I don't want to lose interest and we don't want to lose interest. And so it'll be uh, short mini documentaries. The history of Delhi will be the first one. And then the next one will actually be a, a tour of the historical society itself. And then from there, I'm not sure exactly where I want to go, but I know I definitely want to do documentaries on the Delhi Spring House, which is still around. That's That was built um, in the early part of the 20th century, and it was vital during the flood of 1937. And then... Um, what was the Delhi Spring House? Uh, what, I have what did, a... What function did that The Delhi for? Spring House is yes. on... It was... It's a natural spring on Delhi Pike, and it is a brick structure that was it basically just housed a natural spring and it it was a, a vital place to get just fresh water oh okay yeah that would that probably would have been very handy in 1937 of course but delhi is on high ground so i mean maybe is that mm-hmm. okay so I guess but again at that at that point like sadamsville and and those areas they they utilized it they they kind of like came up the hill and 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 use the Delhi Spring House as uh, a, a natural uh, source of water. Wow, pretty cool. And oh, uh, what I, I wasn't following before: uh, how is Uncle Joey related to you? Is it your grandfather's brother? What's it is my great grandfather's brother. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so documentary. So I imagine you're an avid fan of documentaries. Is is. I am. Okay. Yes. And what are some of your favorites that you could think of off the top of your head you could recommend to folks? Uh, baseball for sure. Ken Burns' is baseball yeah, is a, good a one. fantastic resource. Actually, it was because of that that I found out uh, about Babe Ruth pitching against uh, Leo. If I hadn't watched that documentary, I would have never have had the idea to look into that. Because I'd forgotten that Babe Ruth actually did play a small stint in in the minor leagues. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see other documentaries that I would recommend. Um, I, I'm a huge like hockey fan, and the father of hockey. It's all about Captain John Sutherland. He was the he was the father of kind of like I, the first hockey Hall of Fame in Kingston, Ontario. And that was uh, fascinating. He tried to make the first Hockey Hall of Fame. And now we all know the hockey. If, if you're a hockey fan, you know the Hockey Hall of Fame is in Toronto. But he was, he really championed trying to create the first one. And that one was in uh, Kingston, Ontario. I don't think it's around anymore. It, it was. And then I think during the pandemic, it kind of just shut down. And 
but that's another one that I would, it's called the father of hockey. I'm a, I'm a huge hockey fan. So I've, I watched like California, the history of the California golden seals. That's a great documentary. Oh, we have, we have their shirt on um, our sister site. Oh, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And weirdly, um, this is kind of, uh, kind of, um, applicable is, uh, as most folks know, we have a sister site called old school shirts and we sell, it's like, as we like to describe it at the end of this show, it's like since you shirts, but for those towns, it's the 36 other cities across the country. And anyway, it's the middle of July, excuse me, it's the middle of July and we can't stop selling hockey shirts. It's crazy. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. And we have, um, I, we have, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this yet, so I'll just tease it. We have a, uh, some hockey accessories coming out that are Cincinnati related that'll be come out, coming out in our stores that are related to the four big teams that played here, uh, the folks would know. So, yeah. Say, oh, yeah. I saw a preview of one of them. I really like what's coming out, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we may do those for the, big selling teams on old school shirts that is to be determined i posted uh, a picture on a facebook group and asked people would you prefer having the team histories or the team results on these cups and in the meantime uh the designer and josh and darren decided we're not going to do either we're just going to do the wraps for the cups and i'm like well damn but in the meantime everybody in this facebook group said hey are you gonna do this for other teams too so yeah cincinnati has got a fascinating hockey history yeah um, so what era of, of Cincinnati hockey are you? What, wh- who was your team? Um, so I started at the gardens. That was when I started becoming a hockey fan. I was a hockey fan from the original cyclones back in 1990 okay. when they moved out and the ducks moved in. I actually did not follow the, the cyclones. I stayed and I was a fan of ducks. Oh, this is fascinating. To and, me. Uh, okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. so I was a fan of the Ducks, and then when the Ducks left, I was like, okay, well, I, I still love hockey. I guess I got to go to the Cyclones, <laughs> and so I moved over to the Crown, as it was known then, and then uh, First Star Center, and then it was U.S. Bank Arena, and now it's yeah. the Heritage Center. Uh, so I've been a Cyclones fan ever since then, but um, okay. I've oh, I miss the Mighty Ducks like crazy. So, so the Ducks, you would say, um, I'm of the Stingers era, but I grew up in Cleveland, okay, so my yeah. team was the Crusaders, and I was a kid. I was second third grade i didn't know any better that was our pro team i didn't know the world hawk association was a rebel league i didn't know there was a national eventually i caught on and figured it all out you know probably by fifth or sixth Mm. grade but at the time my team was the crusaders the world hockey association was the league and that was it so had i grown up here i would have been a stingers fan but what fascinates me about the the duck cyclones thing and I've, i've written about this on the cincy shirts blog is for a while we had two minor league hockey teams in this town both the second highest level of hockey in the North America, basically AAA. Mm-hmm. I think they were both. Well, wait, the Cyclones might have been. No, Cyclones the were. were uh, I would consider but them like kind of like double double A. AA. They were all yeah, point. the East Coast Hockey League. That's right. But yeah. in any case, two minor league hockey teams that averaged around four or five thousand fans a game. Both of them. So for a total oh, yeah. of like ten thousand fans, and it's crazy that we never got another major league hockey team here. I guess by the time that would have they, happened, the, the building was too old. Yeah, but they that, tried. Yeah. Well, yeah, they tried. They tried with the Cincinnati Rail Raiders, and I know yeah. you guys have a shirt of theirs as yep. well on your on your site. And they tried with the Cincinnati Rail Raiders to get AHL, which was the triple uh, the triple A, well, you know, affiliate. Well, they should have um, gotten an NHL team because it just didn't work out. They didn't sell enough season yep. tickets, and yep. yeah, it's yeah. Well, the the NHL was supposed to come here in seventy two. And uh, they got turned down, mm-hmm. so they jumped to the World Hockey Association, which is how you get the Stingers. But at the time, Riverfront Coliseum here and the Coliseum in Cleveland were like the two best hockey buildings in the world, yet neither had a National Hockey League team in it, which was just, it, it's insane to think now. And, uh, of course, now I, one of those buildings I totally no agree. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes no sense as to why, because uh, Cincinnati had way better attendance in terms of, you know, fans than some of the other teams. When the NA, when the oh, WHA yeah. got bought mm-hmm. out by the NHL, it was it's amazing that Cincinnati was not part of that deal because they had way better attendance than, a, a, I know, at least two of those teams. Well, the Whalers, for sure. I think the Canadian teams were drawing better, but yeah, they did do better than the Whalers in attendance for sure. But yeah, for some reason, uh, Mr. DeWitt got got left out uh, of that deal. I think the Bulls, they they would not have taken the Birmingham Bulls because uh, the market was just too small and it was in the South and the, the mm-hmm. Flames were struggling. So that explains that. But yeah, it's another big mystery 
how the stingers got left out of that. That If I ever write a book, that may be the book I write, A History of the Stingers, because I always have authors on. I'm very jealous <laughs> that people write books. In fact, I think I have an author on next week, a guy I used to write with uh, since he, uh, since, at Cincinnati City Beat, Steve Rosen. And uh, boy, maybe one of these days I'll muster up enough uh, moxie to, to, to get that sorted. And that's always a story that has fascinated me as the stingers. But, uh, oh, and getting back to the, yeah, yeah. the, the duck cyclones oh, thing. The, the, yeah, that fascinates me too. My friend's ex-husband I was talking to one time, yeah. massive Ducks fan. No time for the Cyclones. It's so funny how that those fandoms, <laughs> it wasn't like people were like, oh, I'll just go to minor league hockey. Because I think the guys I grew up with in Pittsburgh, if that had been the situation in Pittsburgh, they probably would have supported both teams, I think, because they were such hockey fans. They grew up playing it. But here, man, people seem really divided. And I didn't realize so much later the people, you were either a Cyclones fan or a Ducks fans and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> And I guess it's probably the side of town you're on because you're more on the garden yeah, side of I town. Yeah. Well, it's because it was closer, but um, I just had this, I mean, I'm a history buff, so I I had this affinity for the gardens. It was the older, oh, yeah. you know, Makes sense. more established arena. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I need to stay here. And I was a huge fan of the Disney the Disney Mighty Ducks series. So it was, Oh yeah. When, yeah. when they announced that the Mighty Ducks were coming, I was like, okay, I have to be a Mighty Ducks fan. Yeah. That does make sense. And for, and for folks who are interested, yeah, there's, um, for some reason our blog isn't searchable on our own site, which I don't I have to ask our web people about that. But if you Google it, if you Google Cincy shirts, blog, uh, Cyclones, Mighty Ducks, it'll, that will come up. We also talked to, uh, the fellow was the play-by-play guy for the Cyclones, uh, and is now he's the GM of the Seattle Kraken. So uh, Everett fits you. So if you want to check that out, you can. All kinds of hockey stuff. Uh, so that brings us, I guess, to the end here. I'd like to thank you for being on the show today, uh, Joe. This has been fascinating. We have one more order of business that we usually attend to. If you're a fan of the podcast, you know you get to pick the coupon code for the coming week, so folks can go to either Cincy Shirts or Old School Shirts or you can use it once at each site, and use the coupon code of your choosing to take 20% off their purchase. So what would you like that code to be? It can be a, a short phrase. It can be one word. It can be two words, whatever whatever you'd like it to be. Ooh, um, let's make it West Side Natural. I was going to think that. Yeah, I even wrote it down before you said it. <laughs> I think that might be the code. All right, that's perfect. And to that end, West Side Natural, folks can find that on YouTube, as you said. <laughs> yes uh yes you can find that out on youtube it and then history is the channel wait what, what's the channel again just, you, you cut out search uh west side natural on youtube that i'll be working on with the delhi historical society okay and well, could you repeat that part it cut out again i'm sorry yeah sorry um it's uh delhi history and that's that's the uh channel for the delhi historical society Okay, cool. And if somebody had a notion to buy a DVD of your of the documentary, will you be you thinking be able to get those sorted, or is that right now that is not in my future? Okay, but um, I'll definitely think about it. All right, well, so just watch it on YouTube for now, folks, and uh, enjoy. And there's all kinds of like, and uh, Cam Miller's channel is really good too. <laughs> He's got stuff about the Covington Blue Sox and all kinds of other base. So if you're if you're interested in local baseball history, uh, YouTube and our local filmmakers here are your friends. So do check those out. Okay, well, uh, thanks again, Joey, for joining us. Really appreciate this. And folks, go out and watch the yes. documentary and look for yes. more. Good night, Rick. Visit Del High and uh, yeah. explore Del High at your leisure. And Absolutely. Uh, great. Thanks, Joey. We'll talk to you again later. Thank you, Pia. Right. Bye-bye.
Joey Witterstater, interesting stuff. A, I didn't know that much about Delhi. I didn't even realize Delhi was like an actual, I didn't know it was an actual community or it was a neighborhood. See, I'm on the east side. I don't know any of this kind of stuff. And a neat story about his uh, relative there playing professional baseball there in the 1920s and 19-teens. Interesting how all that worked with the different leagues and AAA, AA. There was no AAA actually. Really strange. But um, yeah, check out all his stuff on YouTube and you'll get all up to date on Joey's, uh, I believe it was his uncle he said. Yes. Now there's someone you'd like to hear on the show. Simply email email podcast at cincyshirts.com and tell us a little bit about the person you think should be on the show. It could be you if you like, if you think of an interesting story that's Cincinnati or Cincinnati area related. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. If you haven't already, check out the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Baseball great Johnny Bench, actress Amy Asbeck, tons of great episodes back there. Uh, let me see, uh, who else have we had on the show? Um, just all kinds of great people. There's too, too many to mention. Um, find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Lots of defunct sports teams, old restaurants, malls, uh, that kind of affair. Like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns, as we say. And let me see. Oh, today's show is produced by me with all from Josh and Darren. Our theme music was Cincinnati by Big Nothing there from Philadelphia. I guess those guys are touring again. We're going to try to get them on the show and find out a little bit more about that song. It's kind of a sad song if you hear the whole thing. The part we play isn't the sad bit, but uh, the sad bit kind of comes if you hear the whole song. And we used to play it in the stores. And we had a different sound system, but uh, you can check it out on Spotify and give those guys a spin and give them uh, give them a couple of pennies, fractions of a penny, by listening to that. But yeah, you can hear it. And it is kind of a sad song in a way, but maybe we can get to the bottom of that with the uh, Big Nothing guys. All right, and again, oh, it's actually two guys and a gal, I believe. And again, the promo code for this episode is West Side Natural. That's all one word. West Side Natural. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com order or OldSchoolShirts.com order. You can use it on both. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and I believe we have a TikTok now for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get your podcasts from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye. I wish I said goodbye.